Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hello and welcome to the Utah Puck Report. I think we're on episode 38. Wow, that's quite a few. I could be completely off though. Yeah. I, I counted them. I counted them yesterday. Uh-huh. But that was a long time ago, and I forgot what. I'm pretty sure it's 38. I feel like I've been on about eight. So it's yeah. <laughs> that could be all right. I'm the host, Jay Stevens, alongside our co-host, uh, Gary Gary Michaels, the Gary Michaels, the G Man. Today, our guest, we've got another like. Just a staple of Utah hockey. Yes. Steve Metcalf is in the building. Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, Heck man. Yeah. We've been, I know we've tried a couple times to have you on the show, and I'm glad it finally worked out to get you in here because, I mean, like I was telling you, when we talked to Matt Brickley, Matt had so many great stories, and we <laughs> didn't get many of them in. So this might be another episode that has to be like, we might have to have a back a few times because how long have you been involved with Utah hockey? Well, my uh, my dad actually drug me to the very first Salt Lake Golden Eagles hockey game in October of 1969. Wow. And uh, actually, I think <laughs> I've, I've probably been at the rink ever since. I uh, He said, we're going to the hockey game. And I said, I'm not going to no hockey game. And I went down <laughs> in our basement. <laughs> and I hid behind the washing machine. And uh, really? he actually performed the laying on of hands, which is, <laughs> which is popular in this community, and uh, drug me to that game. And um, I can tell you just about everything that happened the golden eagles won four to two against the san diego goals russ gillow was the goalie for the golden eagles wow. jack mccartan uh usa hockey olympic goaltender in 1960 was the goaltender for san diego a uh, guy by the name of leon Rochefort, number 19 for the golden eagles scored two goals ted hodgson the chief had another goal. I can't and even I remember was, how many episodes we have, and you can remember all of this. This I is was, amazing. That's, I was hooked. You were dumbfounded. I, I, I thought that was the neatest thing I'd ever seen, and yeah. uh, um, like they say, I, I, I've been at the rink ever since. I mean, so, I, I take my kids, and they just run around the rink, you know, <laughs> and you went and just uh, recorded everything. Well, I just, I, I don't know what it was. It was just such a fast, exciting game. Uh, the first game at the Salt Palace was, you know, they had a big crowd. It was opening night. Never, never really been around hockey at all, and uh, I don't know. There was just something that said, "Boy, this is this is a great game, and this is so much fun." How old were you at this point? I was nine. Nine years old. Nine so, years old. All right. So then, did you start playing? Uh, we actually, I did start playing. We uh, we went to the Utah State Fair. They had a booth, uh, Salt Lake Amateur Hockey, and uh, 
signed up. Our first time on the ice was at Hygieia. Yeah. And uh, my dad took me down to the uh, pro shop at the Salt Salt Palace with Joe Rogers. And uh, my family had lived in New York uh, after after my dad was discharged from World War II. He, he, they started in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, so he was kind of a Rangers fan. And uh, so he bought me a little New York Rangers uniform, and I was off to the races. I, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. So so what was hockey like back then? There just Was there just Hygieia? Was Bountiful there? I mean, Bountiful uh, was built shortly after that. I don't know exactly when uh, Bountiful came along, but we had the Salt Palace and we had Hygieia. Okay. And uh, if you could get on the ice at the Salt Palace, that was a that was a treat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, back in those days. And, it was still uh, a treat in 1989 or whatever when right. I started playing. Yeah. I, it was phenomenal to play there. It was just so cool. Well, we used to be able to go down on Sunday mornings and they had kind of some open ice. And uh, that was that was a lot of fun uh, to go down there and but that's that's how it all started, and uh, I've just got several several friends from those days and people that I grew up with playing, and obviously had a cup of coffee here and here and there, refereeing with different leagues and different um, going all over the place, and so the game's been really good to me. So you you get to play here, and then um, was was there high school hockey or any of that? There was high school hockey. I played. Uh, I went to Highland High School. I played uh, the last two years um, as a junior and a senior for Highland, and uh, Viewmont at that time was the big powerhouse. Oh, kind of like uh, now. Kind of like yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jeff Baxter, um, the Cook brothers. Uh, we used to have some pretty good, pretty good wars with those guys, and then uh, after I graduated, Highland kind of. Uh, had Robert Fellows and oh, uh, several other really good players, and they won a couple of state championships. So high school hockey had started um, back in those days. Oh well, Fellows, man, just great ref for the adult league. Yeah, no, he he was for a everywhere. Great, he, yeah, he, and he's <laughs> such been. such a good guy. Yeah, he um, really is. And uh. the, the funny thing about Robert is 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 a lot of people don't know he was uh, your. You're younger than I am, but uh, he was a heck of a baseball pitcher, left-hander, and yeah, he was a he was a phenomenal baseball pitcher at Highland, and uh, just a great. I still call him a kid because he's younger than me, right. but uh, yeah, great, great, kid. awesome at deck hockey too. Yeah, that's kind of Oh man, we got to do a whole episode on deck hockey. That, that be fun. That man. was a good time. Yeah. Um, all right, so you you play at Highland High, you graduate. What's what's next for you? Well, it's real interesting because uh, I. Once I started going to the games and uh, as I got older, uh, high school age and those kind of things, I, I used to uh, go to all the Golden Eagles with Frank Canfield and Guy Holm and Guy worked for the team for a long time and uh, Randy Lewis and uh, Matt and several other folks. We'd always sit up in the corner and uh, go to the Golden Eagles games and watch and um, some other good friends that I've had for years and uh, we'd go watch the games and I just there was just something about it that I just kind of always knew I wanted to be a referee. And uh, when I I started refereeing when I was 18 years old, uh, when I graduated from high school, I went to a camp in Calgary. Um, It was run by a fellow by the name of Dutch Van Dielen, who's an NHL supervisor. And kind of got seen. I was, you know, I was kind of built like Garrett at that time. I was about 6'2 and 175 pounds soaking wet, but I was fairly tall. And I could skate at that time a little bit. And... uh, so I actually worked my first pro game in January of that year when I was 18 years old. Wow, just right into it. Man. So um, and so you hadn't ref before that. 
I started refereeing um, right when I graduated from high school. I refereed like the adult league and yeah. the summer league. And I so you had less you than stuck with it. You had like fifty games, and now you're a pro ref. Let's, That's pretty much it. Yeah, I was wow. in the right place at the right time. Wow. Um, at that time, I had an opportunity to go work for the Western Hockey League, and uh, I turned it down um, because I just felt like staying with the pro game where I was 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 a better situation. But I just love being around the game, and uh, so I lasted for 26 years before I finally hung it up. But, uh, you know, the old Central Hockey League is where I started, you know, the Golden Eagles and the Dallas Blackhawks and um, Fort Worth Texans and those old Wichita old Winds. Wichita Wind. Yeah, okay. Um, I got one. Yeah. <laughs> Tulsa Oilers, um, Nashville South Stars, uh, refereed uh, when the Nashville South Stars and uh, – the uh, one of the Hanson brothers was playing for Nashville. Oh, okay. And, uh, actually, had had a uh, little was able to have a little conversation with him down at uh, having an adult beverage after the game. And, nice, uh, you know, asking him about that. But just a lot of a lot of great players, a lot of great times. And um, I can I can only imagine. I mean, because if you you ref pro for twenty six years, and the players that we've had come through Salt Lake alone, but to be on the ice with both teams and to kind of get to you know you get to know the players, so. One is I'm wondering about some of the, the big names that you got to see that become NHL legends. Because I, I even remember just going to some of the Eagles games and then seeing guys that, that you know, Joe Mullen and uh, Mike Richter and guys like this that came through playing in those leagues. But So I want to know about some of those guys. But also, that was a rough league. Like, those a lot of fights, and your job is to get jump right in the middle of these guys throwing haymakers. <laughs> well, it was, uh, it, you know, it, it was a little bit, different game back then there was a lot more physicality a lot more a little more fighting going on uh when calgary became the uh main affiliate for salt lake and paul baxter brought his team in here he had uh martin samard darwin mccutcheon Stu grimson oh yeah um some really big tough players and uh you know as we know Stu went on uh, you know, to have a great career in the NHL. And not only we have those tough guys, but we had all the skill guys in that group too. Um, Theo Fleury was about that same time, Theo right? Theo Fleury came in. He uh, came in the first year and uh, just played through the playoffs, and uh, they won the Turner Cup. And uh, the next year he started here but was here briefly yeah. and uh, ended up in Calgary, and as we know, his story. Yeah. The interesting thing about, about Theo, and I think Matt kind of uh, – uh, you, you'd mentioned before that Mac talked about Greg Lieb and when Greg was here. And those players, Theo Fleury, the Greg Liebs, those guys, when they're playing and they're on the ice, they're so competitive. Oh, yeah. And they can really be jerks. They yeah. they really, really can. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you get to know the, the fighters. Um, you know, Stu uh, Grimson and I have, uh, you know, spoken in, in the last few years. And uh, he had a son who came out here and was looking for an opportunity to play hockey. But... He always had a good relationship with him. But Theo, um, he was the biggest jerk I think I've ever met. Really? But when you when his whole story finally comes out, right. you realize what that kid was going through at that time. And uh, you know, being sexually abused by a hockey coach. Uh, for years, yeah. and uh, you could see why he had a chip on his shoulder. And as we all know now, we see what he does in the community, and he's got two great books out, Playing With Fire is the first one, which is kind of tells his story. 
But uh, now he's on a you know big circuit, you know, talking about mental health and taking care of yourself. So he's really turned himself around from drugs and alcohol and going down a really bad path to uh, being a real productive uh, citizen and providing a, a lot of great guidance for, for folks. Yeah, he's been phenomenal. Fantastic. And I, I follow him on social media. And, uh, like, he was, for such a short time here, he was such a huge impact on this market. Because, I mean, there are... I, I can think of five kids right off the top of my head named Theo or Theron, just because of him. Right. Because their parents were just so in awe of him and uh, he was so electric on the ice. Yeah. And then to follow him now, you're right. Because it's these guys, anybody that goes through abuse and then ends up, you know, abusing drugs or alcohol or whatever, they there's two paths they can take. They can stay down the path to self-destruction or they can become, you know, a beacon for other people to get out of that. And he really has just embraced that and become just a, just such a great spokesperson for the sport and for people that are struggling. And because unfortunately, he, his story isn't the only story with that. And that's one of the unique yeah. things about you know, at fourteen years old, we're sending our kids to live with other people and other coaches. And yeah, it's uh, you know his his story and his turnaround is is quite phenomenal. And we all know about the success that he had on the ice, but it, it came at a cost. And uh, so it's important to be able to take care of yourself. And uh, there's a great story in Kerry Fraser's book about Theo when he was playing in the NHL. And I can't remember the other player, but uh, at the end of one of the periods, there was kind of a scrum, and, and uh, the other player kind of got after Theo and kind of started, you know, telling him he was a coke addict and he was no good and this and that and the other. And and uh, Theo got really upset, and he went over to Kerry Fraser and said, "He can't do that. That's not right. He shouldn't be saying those things." And Kerry said, you really feel that way? And he said, yeah, I really do. He goes, I'll take care of it. So at the end of the period, Kerry went down to the, I know they were playing the Rangers at the time, and he went to uh, the coach and said, uh, hey, this is what that player said to, to Theo. And he goes, okay, I'll tell him he's, he's kicked out of the game. And, and Kerry said, no, I want you to have him come back on at the start of the period and have him meet me at, at center ice. And he called those two guys over, Theo and that guy. And he, and he called the guy out right in front of Theo. And, uh, um, you know, really held him accountable. Really? And uh, pretty, it's a really cool story in Kerry yeah. Fraser's book. But uh, that kind of turned Theo around on officials because Kerry, in the first part of his book, was talking about what a jerk <laughs> Theron Fleury was to him, too. <laughs> and so it wasn't just this little old, uh, you know, official from Utah, but it was all the way up. He had a real heartburn with officials. But um, Kerry Fraser made a big impact on his life and also the other player. Uh, the other player, when he retired, wrote Kerry a letter and told him uh, what it meant to him to kind of be held accountable. Yeah. And uh, I think those are those are great stories that the sport can do for a lot of people, a lot of kids, uh, no matter what age you are. You know, you're accountable for what you do, and and uh, when the sport holds you accountable, it makes you a better person. It's cool yeah. to hear. Um, it's cool to hear that because that was in the. It's got to be mid '80s, early '90s when. A lot of stuff just went, and you got away with saying oh. a lot of stuff. Now, I mean, as a, as a coach, and I'm sure you've had the same thing, I've had players kicked out of games for, you know, if they make any kind of a slip towards, you know, there, there's a line that you cross. You can right. insult a person, but you can't insult the protected class part and, or any of the other stuff. And, man, you cross that line, and the refs throw you right out of the game. Mm-hmm. I lost a player at Nationals because of that. And it's, it's cool to see that. I appreciate that. Now, I had no idea that anybody did it back in the day because I remember – when I was playing in the 80s and 90s, 
everything was on the table. You, like everybody made fun of everybody for everything, whether it was, <laughs> you know. The, yeah, there's there's a lot of times, uh, you know, a lot of things were said, and you get back in the locker room and you're like, boy, that was a pretty good line, but holy cow, yeah, how far over the <laughs> how far over the line was it? And, yeah. and certainly, certainly those things things happen, and and they still do today a little bit, but it's a it's a different game today. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm an old school player. I was an old school official. I could have a conversation with a player, and we would use a few expletives to each other, and. He would go his way, and I would go my way. And, and uh, now the game is: as soon as you say something like that, it, you know, penalties called, or yep. you're in trouble, or you got to go to the principal's office, or whatever, <laughs> whatever has to happen. But uh, um, yeah, it really has changed like that. I, I, yeah. You don't think about that, but it, it, the conversation between the ref and the player has definitely changed. And, I, yeah. and you know, I was coaching yeah. a team that was really super strict on like I wasn't allowed to swear. Which was a huge adaption. Like I really had to change my lifestyle and coaching to keep my mouth clean, and my like I had players that wouldn't play on Sunday, and I had a ref drop a couple f bombs at one of my players, and I called the ref over. I'm like, hey, that's not acceptable at this point. You cannot do that. I know who it was, and he just yeah. <laughs> but I, I can mean, tell you, it wasn't Robert Fellows. <laughs> no, exactly. No, it was I, not. <laughs> and he didn't understand. He didn't understand why I was so upset because I mean, he this is a guy that I had kind of grown up with and. He's like, I know what comes out of your mouth 90% of the time. I'm like, game has changed. These are kids. I was coaching U16s mm-hmm. at the time. I'm like, and you need to step it up. And he kind of agreed. But he was, I think, just the look, I remember the exact look he was giving me. Like, why are you complaining about this? Like, uh-huh. he, it, he had co- he'd played with me and he'd, he'd coached against, like, you know. Yeah. It's weird, too, because, uh, you know, I, I've never played at a high level or anything. But you appreciate the ref that's going to talk to you, you know, right. or just back and forth. You're going to have a little good conversation, get get out what you want, and then move on down the road instead right. of you know be hostile. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a uh, you know like we t- I talked about you know the competitive nature of all the players, and and that goes with the officials too. Um, you know, uh, as an official for 26 years, our goal every year was to work the work the playoffs, and then if you got picked for the playoffs, you wanted to work the finals. And I was fortunate, you know, as a minor league official to, uh, you know, work five uh, league championship series and uh, worked an all-star game in 97 in Grand Rapids in the old IHL. And, um, you know, those kind of things are cool. When I was still officiating and started coaching, the interesting one interesting thing was is I was really, really hard on the officials. I was just I was up there but about every little thing. And about halfway through my first season of coaching, one of the officials who's a pretty good friend called me out on. He says, "You're a jerk." <laughs> he said, "Nobody wants to work your games because you're so hard on those guys. Lighten up." And I I kind of took a step back and I thought, "You know, you're right. Yeah. I I need to control and set a better example not just for myself, but for my team." And uh, you know, we all see the examples in every sport where a coach that loses his mind oftentimes yeah. loses a game for it for a team, and so uh, I, I kind of turned things around and had to make some amends to some of my my uh, former counterparts in the black and white jerseys. <laughs> but, um, Can we have you teach a few of the uh, county refs? Uh, <laughs> they're needing some counseling. There's a few of them that are. Well, I. You know, it's funny, and, and I brought this up recently. So, uh, as a firefighter, we have a brand new chief. And I just took I took a test for battalion chief, and he his statement to to all of us like 
if you're wanting to become a battalion chief in this department, if you are wanting to be a leader, you, I, I want you to volunteer to ref in whatever sport you're interested in, but not just coach. I want you to ref because I want you to go out there and take the verbal abuse, and I want you to learn to uh, just cover yourself, like learn patience because that level of patience to go out there as a person – Put yourself out on the line, and you're just trying. Like, we accuse every ref ever of being biased or having a favorite <laughs> player or whatever, and that's not the case. They're out there just trying to do the job. And as a fan, we snap. As a parent, we snap. As a coach, we snap. And that's that was my my chief's point. And I I I thought it was really a good point. I'm like, yeah. man, I don't want to do that part. I don't like. I want to oh. be a patient person. But I know I've I've listened for thirty years of people just assault refs, and I brought it up with Matt. I was just like, like, how do you turn that off? How do you not retaliate and say a bunch of f bombs back, and you just take it and skate off? That's yeah, it's it's really funny. I mean, for doing it as long as I did, I was always running to to people at the store or wherever, and they'd come up to you and they'd look at you and they they'd look at you and say, "You're him," and I'm like, "Who?" Oh. <laughs> you know, you're you're him. You're the you're the guy on the ice. You're, I'm like, and I'm like, they don't they don't think you're a real person. Yeah, you're <laughs> just you're just yelling at the jersey. Yeah, right? you're a, you're but, a uh, villain. They can't right. humanize you. You right. can't be the guy that goes to the same grocery store as them because you're the villain that cost them the game or yeah. whatever with that very controversial call or whatever. Even though, like, that's the nice thing about being a hockey fan is I can watch almost any game and be like, no, that's a clean call. That guy clearly did that or you know i think because i don't have a favorite team i mean i kind of do but i i let i i think i'm pretty objective when it comes to that stuff but when it's your kid out there and then you see that ref at the mall you're the villain right well and it, it was interesting that big uh, melee that they had in, in uh amateur baseball oh, yeah. with a little high school kid or a 13 year old kid that was the umpire and i saw that uh the the major league team umpires invited him out to their game, he was at home plate with the two managers and got to shake okay. their hands, and yeah. so it's it's kind of cool. And you know, we, you know, parents get upset, they get worked up. You know, they, it's it's just perspective, keeping a good perspective, and yeah. you know, growing these kids. I mean, they're honestly they're just they're just little kids for the most part. Yeah. Do you remember mm-hmm. uh, your your first what, like the first penalty you ever called? The were, first were penalty I ever called. Well, I, I can <laughs> I can. I can recall a couple that were controversial. I don't know about the first one I called. There was a playoff game, the old Kansas City Blades. Uh, Doug Sotart was the GM, and Paul McClain, who went on to coach the NHL, was the head coach of Kansas City. Um, Butch Goring was the, the uh, coach for uh, for the uh, Grizzlies. And uh, playoff game goes into overtime. Uh, the chainsaw. Darcy Lowen was down in the col- down in the corner, and a guy, his last name was Anderson. Uh, just flew in there and ran him pretty good. And uh, Darcy chased him up the ice, and the guy was coming across the blue line, and he threw his elbow up and just, I mean, knocked the guy out. The guy was laying on the ice. And the referee came over and said, you know, did you see what happened? And I'm going, yeah. He got hit in the corner. He chased him down the ice and gave him an elbow, and now he's laying there unconscious. He said, well, what should I do? I said, well, I'm just telling you what happened. And at the time, he's like, he was like, I don't want to call a major penalty in overtime. I said, you can call whatever you want. I said, it was a five-minute major for elbowing is what the call should be. And he said, well, I want to give him a double minor instead of a major. 
you do whatever you want. It's just your game. You're the referee. You're in charge. I was a linesman. And uh, so he ended up calling a double minor. And, uh, boy, then it really blew up because then it was, well, you guys didn't see what happened and yeah. all this controversy. And, oh, man, it was it was a huge deal. And uh, I remember the president of the league called me the next day and he said, what happened? And I said, this is what happened. And I said, I told him exactly that. And fortunately, the referee was a was an honorable guy and he told the league president too. He said, yeah, he, he told me exactly what happened, but I didn't want to call. I didn't want to call a major in, in overtime. Of course, Kansas City scored on the power play and the game was over and people were going crazy. And we had to get security and police to get us out to our cars. Oh, and I was on the radio shows as the bad guy and the villain, but – Interestingly, the player that was hurt ended up in the hospital, and uh, he ended up there for you know three to five days. And they found out that he had a, a brain tumor, and they actually uh, probably what? wouldn't have done that kind of a scan without him getting hurt. It saved so his, crazy. Ended his career. That cheap shot saved his life, yeah. though. Ended his career, but it saved his life. Yeah. So you know things always happen for a reason, and. Um, you know, there's and and Butch Goring, while he was really really upset, he's a class guy. And him and Bob Bourne, when they were when they were here, they they always treated me uh, like a professional, and and uh, they're they're just great guys. Now I can't say the same for Paul McLean, but uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, but there's a lot of stories like that. I mean, I was on the ice when Ed Kia got hit by George McPhee. Uh, I was a young young official when that happened, and uh, was on the ice when uh, Martin Samard. Uh, and Dave Jansen's got into a fight. Um, in fact, it was that same same uh, Calgary affiliate team that Martin Samard was on in the playoffs, or it was near the end of the season, when uh, Jansen had unsnapped his chin strap. He was sitting on the bench. There were seven seconds left in the game, and Pete Mahovlich taps him. And I can remember watching the whole thing set up, and I thought, <laughs> these two guys are going to go, and they're right behind me. And I dropped the puck, and they sure as heck they went. And um, as I can still see it, Today, Jansen's coming down and he's going forward, and Samard or uh, uh, Jansen is going backwards, and his helmet comes off, and his head hit the ice, and you know he has convulsions. And I seizure. was at that game. Yeah, yeah I was. I, was I, I'll never was, forget that. Yeah. I was. I was at that game. I remember him going into seizures. Yeah. I don't, and it, it was. It quieted that whole oh, crowd. It took. I mean, you, you could have heard a puck drop. Yeah, it was. Wow. Yeah, you could have heard a puck drop. It was but, scary. Uh, I've never heard that saying before. Yeah. I like that saying. But what, yeah, what, that was scary. What's what's your thought process when a fight starts? Uh, back then? Well, the, the first thing you know, if two guys want to fight and they're big, two big guys, and they want to fight. You let them. You know, let them go at it. Let them have their fun. Um, they're trying to set a precedent, a precedent in the game, and and change the tone of the game. If somebody starts getting beat up, you better get in there because if you don't, one of the players is going to. So you have to be willing to protect a guy. Um, if, obviously, a uh, you know, rough and tough guy is going after a leading scorer, then you know, you've know you got to get in there right away because if you don't, you're going to have a Yeah, it's going to be know, chaos. You're going to have chaos everywhere. So, you know, the game's changed a lot. I, you know, we used to have, you know, brawls where three or four guys be fighting at once and now you have one fight and everybody kind of stands back and watches and, um it, it, it's such an intense game with so much emotion and is played so fast and so quickly. Sometimes a fight can really calm a game down. Mm. Whereas, uh, you know, even when you watch college hockey, you know, all the players have masks on and so the sticks are always getting up a little yep. bit higher and they'll take a little, you know, cross check to the face or, you know, get their sticks up. And, and you don't see that as much in, in pro hockey. But Yeah. 
And that's what that's one of those weird things I always say. It's like, all right, well, we're getting too many sticking penalties. Well, make guys stop wearing full shields, and they'll right. stop. Yeah. They'll get their sticks down. Yeah, there's an argument for a lot of you know the way the game is played today. I mean, you you know, they they worry about the big hits and the big concussions. Well, put the red line back in and you know oh, right. have an offside pass because if you can you can make a pass from one end of the ice to the far blue line. Uh, with the speed those guys have, and as fast as they're going, you are going to have some big hits. Yeah. And some, you know, somebody is going to get. We we see it all the time. Somebody just gets creamed. Yeah. It doesn't matter at our level, Gary, in the senior <laughs> leagues where it's a little bit slow. We could pass the puck the whole ice and not have offsides or anything, and and, and it, it would yeah, be no a lot easier. There. But but at those high levels, I mean, those guys today are are so fast, and and it's funny they're so big and so strong, and they can just fly. Yeah, I would not like to see the red line come back. And we had the red line when Scott Stevens was knocking everybody out. So. Yeah, right. yeah, that's right. But I, I mean, it's crazy. And right before we came today, they were replaying the Montreal Canadiens-New York Rangers game on the NHL Network from 92. And it's so crazy to watch how much more physical the game was and how, like... Like we talked about on there, that's the only reason Greg Lieb couldn't make it at that time. Greg Lieb is one of the fastest, purest skaters you'll ever see. Yeah, and he's so much fun to watch play, and his skill levels through the roof. If he was five years younger, he'd be an NHL star. But you see, with those six foot three guys just grabbing everybody, nobody's moving anywhere on that ice. And this was a playoff game, <laughs> and every time yeah. somebody tries to move, they've got a stick in their gut. They're getting laid out ten seconds after they make a pass. Elbows high, like blindside hits left and right. Like it's just, it's amazing to me, the like that people weren't killed back then. Yeah, it's, it's uh, <laughs> the game certainly changed from you know even the early seventies in the old Western Hockey League to you know the eighties when some of the other teams were coming in. You get more and more skill, and then and nowadays when. Uh, you know, the, the biggest difference really in my mind between the NHL player and the American League player and the East Coast League player is the NHL guys can skate at full speed and pa- make a pass and receive a pass. And it kind of, that skill gets diminished at the American League and then again at the East Coast League level. But that's really the biggest difference because those guys in the East Coast League, they skate every bit as fast as the guy in the NHL, but they can't. They don't have the, the, the skill level to, that to make factor. passes. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the biggest difference in my mind um, in the game. But, yeah, uh, and shooting, there's a little bit of – to me, there's a huge difference. Like, uh, It's not like I'm stopping guys at the East Coast League at, at my age anyway, but when I practice with the Grizzlies, I see those guys come in, and there's, there's more of a patience. Like during the lockout when uh, Coley Armstrong and Trevor Lewis and uh, there was another guy from the Devils. Anyway, we had a few guys that came onto the ice, and I was e-bugging at the time, and I was just absolutely, like, couldn't touch the puck. And I would get into perfect position, what I thought was perfect position, we all know it's not, (laughs) but I would get into a relatively perfect position, and instead of just being a quicker shot, which you think, oh yeah, they just shoot faster. It was just a touch of patience, it was just a little bit more... Of an ex, they'd already figured you out. Like they, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like yeah. they already know. There's just that. That's that X factor. They're just the things come to them a little better, and they they're more cognitive. I think there's just a, I don't know whatever that X factor is. But yeah, and catching passes at full stride, and 
It's unreal. And the, the players these days, like the, the skill level on some of these guys, like you watch an Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid, it's, and the, the, the term about stick handling in a phone booth, and you see some of the tricks they do or some of the warm-up drills they do for crying out loud. It's Yeah, there's some, some real real skill out there for sure and, and uh, you know, faster, quicker pace. And, and it's only going to get more. I mean, you look at the Avalanche uh, next year and some of the moves they made. I mean, you get Nathan McKinnon and some of those guys yeah. go down there. And, um, McKinnon, now tell me this as a coach, and you watch McKinnon's stick handle, and he's got to be one of the best in the NHL. But he also has the thing that everybody tells you not to do, like with the he, he's a Benihana chef with that stick. Yeah, he is. He is. But uh, when you're that good, you can get away with it, yeah. you know. No. But he's. But it had to be one of those things, like forever. Well, same thing with Jonathan Quick. The way he was doing, like he has his own style, and now the whole NHL's kind of adapted to that. But you know, for years, there's coaches saying, "Stop doing this part. You're going to get killed." Yeah, you're yeah. Go- yeah you're stop doing this. Yeah. And it, he is so exciting to watch. I'm glad that he just ignored it, or maybe the coaches just said, you know what, I'm not going to touch, I'm not going to mess with this kid. I'm glad it worked out for him. Yeah, it's so fun to watch. (laughs) Well, when they come back to the to the bench and the pucks in the net, you just say, "Nice shot." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I always remember Bill Miller telling me all this stuff, where he's like, "No, don't shoot it." Oh, okay, nice shot. So, yeah. like, sometimes <laughs> kids do things that you're not used to coaching, but sometimes the the player well, and just, it's, it's, it's the instinct. same. It's the same when you coach, you know, youth hockey at, at, at twelve and fourteen year olds. You always tell them, "Don't, you know, don't take the puck to the middle of the ice, cross oh. the blue line, and, oh. you know, take it wide, take it wide, yeah. take it wide." And then, sure enough, one of them takes it to the middle and goes down. Yeah, gets a shot and scores, and you're just like, oh, okay, well, good shot. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. And that, so they'll never listen to you now that they've scored. Right. Yeah. Pass. So, pass. <laughs> never nine. Good shot. Yeah, oh, oh. Good. Yeah. Well, because nobody expected them to shoot because they were doing the exact wrong thing that you'd never coach. But anyway, all right. So before we get off the the, the refing thing, the one of the things I wanted to know was you've had to take a couple pretty good shots. Have you ever just taken a, oh. a solid? left hook from somebody you didn't see coming or uh, because you're jumping in there against brawlers. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, I took a pretty – there was a guy that played for the Golden Eagles back in the day and he came in for about 15 or 20 games and he was brought in for one reason. And and, uh, my my great dear friend Jim Tedesco has – usually happened in, in fights, lost control of his guy. And, uh, <laughs> his guy in this instant was this player. And, and the player's name was Ollie Buterak. And uh, he this. clocked me right in the nose. And I just I just kind of stood there and looked at him and thought, holy cow, I just got blasted. <laughs> but uh, it's funny, when, when Calgary was here, there was a preseason game between the Denver Rangers and the, the uh, Golden Eagles. So we're Calgary's farm team, you know, uh, Golden Eagles have Martin Samard, Darwin McCutcheon, Stu Grimson. The Rangers have Rudy Poschek, Jeff Brubaker, uh, Mark Jansons. Oh, yeah. And it was a preseason game. I was a referee. Jim Tedesco and Brian Steck were the two linesmen. And um, it was it would have been the all-time penalty minute record because in those days it was five minutes for fighting and until you got three fights you were still in the game. So it was five for fighting, five for fighting, five for fighting, five for fighting. 435 minutes in penalties. <laughs> but at some point in the game, uh, I'm sure Jim and Brian were getting tired of breaking up fights. But as usual, as I said, Jim lost control of his guy. And, and uh, this guy punched Brian's stick right in the nose. And so his nose is swollen up and his eyes are swelling and they're all red and big tears in his eyes. And he comes over to the penalty box and he says, he says, matter – 
says, you got to give that guy an extra 10 minutes. He just blasted me right in the nose. And I, Tedesco's standing there with this stupid look on his face like, well, I lost my guy and that's what happened. But I looked at Brian Steck and I said, well, that's fine, Brian, but you don't have to cry about it. <laughs> and uh, so he wasn't too happy with me. But, um, yeah, that was uh, – uh, Peter Mahovlich was the Rangers coach and Jeff uh, – or uh, Paul Baxter was the, the Golden Eagles coach and – those two guys would, you know, be yelling and screaming at each other, and it was just fight after fight. But back in the glory days, yeah. What was the, what's the you, like your coolest memory of refing? Um, well, you know, I, I I had an opportunity to work the All Star game. I, um, I I've, I've, working the playoffs was a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, in every in every league because that means that you were looked upon as uh, you know one of the one of the top officials to to get selected. Yeah, to work those final series and those final playoff games. So a lot of those, um, all-star game in Grand Rapids, Jim Tedesco and I were selected in uh, uh, 1997 to work that. So we went back there and were able to go back with uh, our wives and had a good uh, a good trip. And um, So that was fun. Uh, 94, I refereed three NHL games, so those stick out in my mind uh, as kind of a fill-in guy. Um, and uh, worked uh, Detroit uh, at that time, who was the top team, and Scotty Bowman was the coach. And oh. I remember there was a really close call at the blue line, and a couple of the players were giving me a hard time, and Scotty Bowman standing behind the bench, and he says, uh, Hey, Liney. <laughs> uh, yes, Mr. Bowman, sir. He said, That was a great call. Don't worry about it. Oh. <laughs> so, nice. Uh, so now that you've you've – Retired for roughing, and now you are you're running camps. You're super involved in youth hockey, and you have been for how many like tons of years? What, did it start with Garrett? Well, well it you actually, had older kids. Yeah, Skyler. Skyler. It started started with Skyler, and uh, was actually the president of the West Coast Hockey League. Said to me one time, you know, we were talking. We had two kids that were the same age, and when Skyler was like nine, I think. And uh, he said, "How come you're not coaching?" I'm like, "Are you kidding me? Me coach?" I said, "I hate coaches, and they hate me." <laughs> and uh, but anyway, it was that year that I ended up uh, co- coaching with Greg Hoggood uh, from the Grizzlies. His oh, son yeah. and Skyler ended up on a, on a team together, and so that's kind of started me off. And I knew at some point I was going to have to get out of refereeing, and I wasn't getting any younger. And and I really fell in love with coaching, and uh, so started putting my time and effort, and started doing that. I was still refereeing when I first started, but. Um, started doing that more and more and being involved with the kids. And obviously Skyler and Garrett both played. Um, and I coached Skyler until he was up, until he was 14, and then moved him on to some other guys. And, you know, I wasn't a goal. I wasn't a goalie. Um, and uh, as you know, Garrett Garrett's a goaltender. And I always told him when I was little because he wanted to be a goalie. And I'm like, you can't be a goalie, Garrett. Why can't I be a goalie? And I was like, well, if you can't play, you play goalie. And if you can't play goalie, you referee. <laughs> and so if you're a goalie, you're one step closer to being a referee. And I said, one referee in the family is enough. But uh, he was he was driven that that's what he was going to do, and it's fortunately turned out for him. But that's kind of how I got started, and uh, I think I've coached for pretty much every organization in the state. And um, they're, all, they're all good in their own ways. They all have their positives and, um, you know, providing an opportunity for kids to learn about the great game. You know, that's kind of what, that's how I kind of look at it too. All the organizations have their positives, and um, each place is a good place for kids to learn certain skills or you know pick up uh, good experience. And uh, and now you're going to do something. You're bringing something new to the table this year, or what's because what's going on this year? With 
With, uh, well, this year, um, you know, I've been working with WCR the last couple of years coaching their U14 team. Um, we have a little bit of a, of a partnership as far as the coaching aspect goes. Uh, the Utah Wolves are a team that's registered out of the Utah Olympic Oval. And uh, the WCR organization has is, is, uh, agreed to help provide some coaching uh, for that group. Last year, John Solomon uh, had the U uh, 13 team with the Wolves, and uh, Bo Burton only had the U12 team. And uh, so this year, John will have the 14s with WCR. Bo will have the 13s with the Wolves. And uh, myself and uh, four-time Stanley Cup winner Kevin McClellan are going to coach the uh, U12 team for the Utah Wolves. And uh, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I've I've been had a great opportunity to be around Kevin a lot the last couple of years when he was brought in by Joe and Lisa Durso to coach the WCR program, and he's just a phenomenal guy. Uh, yeah, we've had him on the show, and, and my son played his last year of competitive hockey with him, and was just like yeah, he just he, loved playing for him. He just he just has a great perspective. He understands the game. He understands what it takes to get to every level. Um, he is. He is a lot of fun to be around. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think we're the only coaching staff that uh, uh, has four Stanley Cups. So I'm, I'm pretty I'm, – not that I have any, yeah. but, but our coaching staff has four. So I'm, I'm spreading that out. But, uh, you know, Kevin's one of eight guys to win four Stanley Cups with the Oilers. And, and to yeah. do something like that – and. You know, the interesting thing is you, you talk to Kevin, and, and he knew exactly what his role was on yeah. that team. But I always tease him. I'm like, man, the best game ever uh, in, in those four years is when you guys beat New Jersey one to nothing. And he scored and the goal. And we know who scored oh. the game-winning goal was Kevin McClellan in the first period. And he's so humble about all and, of it. Yeah. He, all of it. He's he, so he great. But, uh, you know, he's a lot of, lot, of, lot of fun to be around. I think he's going to bring some of the kids. He's also going to coach the WCR U16 team and – uh, that'll certainly be his primary focus, but uh, you know he's going to be around these under twelve kids a lot. And, well, that's good. Uh, that's good that you can get them exposure to a player like him, a, yeah. a coach like him. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I, I've coached that age a lot, and I, I do certain things with that group that uh, hopefully improves their skill and and gets them in a place where they can make a decision if they want to keep chasing chasing the game and trying to get better and better, and maybe you know an opportunity will come up for them. And, yeah. and you've seen it from. Now, now you've been at all, all angles. You've been a player, you've been the ref, you've been the coach, and you've been able to coach your own kid and see, you know, see the different path he ended up taking. But and we've heard we talked to Garrett. Garrett was on the show, but I want to hear your draft day experience. Like just well, it was. Uh, did you know it was coming? Did you have we, any idea? You know, we he had talked to. Uh, I think we we talked to uh, you know his agent, and uh, um, there was five five teams that were kind of interested. We had no idea what was going to happen. Um, my wife and I were actually down in, in St. George. Garrett was in Pittsburgh with his goalie coach, Shane Clifford. And so we were kind of watching, and I kept having to refresh my phone and trying to figure out what was going on. And I just had this weird feeling because that morning, and, and it's funny, Garrett's first transaction in the NHL book is that he was part of the trade between the Ducks and uh, the Rangers. Um, and, and they got the draft picks, and uh, I thought, you know, they traded for them, and it was real interesting because Dallas was one of the other teams that had interviewed Garrett, and they picked right before the Ducks, and um, they didn't take him, and I thought, well, if he's going to go, this is probably going to be it. Sure enough, and I'm trying to pull it up, and then my phone rings, and and uh, it was uh, crazy. 
Pretty cool, yeah, man. Pretty yeah. emotional. Yeah, yeah I bet. I can, only, I can only imagine. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty wild. But um, you know, he he's the one that's put in the work, and um, you know, he he. It's not. Everybody says, "Oh, you know, geez, Garrett, you know, got on this escalator and rode to the top." But when you start looking at all the tough decisions it had to make, we had seven Tier One AAA teams that wanted him. We we're trying to figure out where to send him. We picked Omaha, and it turned out to be a really bad experience. We had to move him. Yeah. Um, he got with the Rampage, which just turned out to be an awesome experience for two years, and um, we figured he would go to the, the Capitals. Uh, uh, camp and there were 16 goalies there and six of them had been drafted and all of a sudden they wanted him and it was like holy cow now what do we do but um you know he had double bilateral hip surgery last year and he's just back at the ducks camp last week and he's back to 100 percent. so hopefully knock on wood he can stay healthy and we'll we'll see what happens we're watching the ride with them and and hoping for the best like I, i just love seeing utah players do well and it was it, it was different seeing him, and, and we talked to him about it because, you know, I've had a goalie camp here for 18 years, and Garrett was a part of a lot of them. Yeah. And there was that, that year where he just wasn't putting in effort. Yeah. Jordan Parisi <laughs> called him out. Yeah. And it's it's funny because Garrett brings it up. He, he does. He, I like that. Oh, yeah. He's, he's totally honest about that. You because know? I jumped Jordan's crap about it. I said, you never tell a player to quit. You never tell a player that – to stop wasting their parents' oh, money, <laughs> and, and uh, Jordan's like, "No, this kid either this kid needs to either quit or start working." Stop wasting my money. I'm going to try to get some of that back. Hopefully, at some point. <laughs> but it's it's funny to see. I mean, it's it's so awesome to see that he. That was one of the times where he's like, "Yeah, I'm going to start working hard." I don't. It's funny, you know. Mike Mandrick coached with us when Garrett was 12. And Jim Casper coached Garrett when he's fourteen, and both of those coaches tell a similar story. How they they'd go up to Garrett during practice, they're like, "What are you doing? Yeah. Oh, my my pad, you know, yep. my pads loose, or this or that." And they're, your pads not loose. You're just, you know, you don't want to skate, or you don't want to do this or that. And it's funny to hear Garrett tell those stories now because yep. the first thing he's telling all the parents out there now is, "Don't let your kid waste your money." Right. And, uh, <laughs> right. So, That's totally cool, and it's it's you know we don't know what's going to happen when you tell a kid something. You don't. I've had goalies quit. Sure. And never play yeah. goalie again. Yeah. I had a kid that ended up playing. He was a forward. And he ended up playing for the University of Utah on their club team and stuff. And he had fun with hockey, but he came to a goalie camp and wasn't trying. And was. And Jordan called him out. He's yeah. like, either try or don't be a goalie. Yeah. You, can't, yeah. you can't be put in the net and not try because you're going to cost your team the game. Is that what you want? The kid's like, nope, I'm out. And just got off the ice. Yep, see you later. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and yeah. speaking of camps, you've got uh, yours coming up here, right? Yeah, our, this is Evolution. our 10th year. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. Evolution Hockey, um, the camps that I've been running uh, for this our 10th year out at the Olympic Oval, July 15th to the 19th. We still got openings in our U10 group. Get a hold of us and try to get your kids in. How do they get we'll a hold of you? Um, just send me a, an, an email is the best way. So uh, do you have a Facebook page for Evolution Yeah, there's, there's an Evolution, there's a Facebook page. I'll send you the info and we'll get it out through Okay, you yeah. so we, we will post that when we post the interview, we'll, yeah. and that'll go to, today or tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, we'll my we'll kids, get that. My kids have been going for the past, what, four, four or five oh, years they, now. Yeah. They, they love it. And now i got my second son in there. And, He's awesome. Yeah. Finn, I think he was one of our youngest players last year at <laughs> seven. Was, and he just loves it. Oh, I mean, yeah. We, the shortest. It's, uh, it's a great week. It's... Uh, Sometimes with the younger group, it's it's kind of like herding cats. But, uh, you know, we're at the Oval. We're there. We're inside all day. It's 100 degrees outside. We keep them inside. We we do, you know, we have team building. We play dodgeball. We do the handshake game. We have prizes. It, it's not just about hockey, but it's having a good experience. 
Um, our, our camps are, are kind of designed, designed. We, we do power skating and skills and drills and small area games and the two first sessions. And the last session every day is scrimmage. It's like, let the guys play. Yeah. Let's see what they can do. And sometimes they're out there against kids they're better than, and sometimes they're out there against kids that uh, they're not. And uh, gives them an opportunity to play in all situations. And it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And, um, you know, we've got Bo Burton only coming back. Garrett's coming back to be two of our – they'll be our two head coaches with the groups. And I have uh, – I usually have seven or eight student coaches of kids that have played for me that are now – you know, between 15 and 18 years yeah. old, that come out and help, and yeah, they're the skate tires because I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't skate any tiny skates more at my age. My hands are too old. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. That's that's the one thing about camp is we make sure that, like, I always end up still tying them. And I'm like, yeah. wait, I paid kids to come in here and tie skates. <laughs> but yeah, well, that's great. And we, and you know, I've always gotten positive feedback about your camp. And for years, I've our camps have never been at the same time. So, you know, as soon as yeah. you put your flyer out, I've always put put it on my page as well sure. so that everybody knows about it because it's it's good to have camps like ours i'm not trying to pump my own tires so i'm not even doing a camp this year but camps that are focused on kids having fun yeah. and yeah. they're going to learn the game sure oh, yeah. and it's important that they want to be there right and some people some camps don't remember that emphasis and and i don't know of any sure. around here i'm not trying to call anybody out but like my son keegan went a year or so ago and he had a great time at yours yeah, and they're and they're fun. I appreciate you throwing me that little yeah. pump them entirely. We, we've partnership with the Utah Grizzlies. Uh, you know, the kids get a uh, some some tickets to a Grizzly game, and Jared's been really great with us. And the Oval's been a good partner, and Jay Worthen and all those guys out there have been awesome for us. Give give those guys some props. But partnership with the Grizzlies has has been awesome, and uh, you know they come out and uh, just trying to get more kids involved in the game. Yeah, and, and that's uh, that's the goal, and that's like we just want to grow the game, get more kids mm-hmm. like more comfortable with the game. Yeah, last year the Grizz they sent out uh, players to to the practices for the squirts and mites right. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. The Grizzlies are awesome. Yeah, yeah. That well, was Tim so cool. Tim Branham's done a great job with the Grizzlies. I, I I was actually with him on Saturday at an adult clinic out at the Oval, but Tim's done a great job with the Grizzlies and being being involved in local amateur hockey and, and with every association and, and trying to, to do what he can to spread the word about the great game. But but he's an awesome guy, too. Well, that's great. And we, we appreciate everything you're doing, and uh, we'll make sure that we, we put the word out about your camp and make it easy for people to sign up for it. Yeah. And I appreciate you being on the show. I, I We have to have you back again because I, I know you've got more stories to tell. I'd love to hear more about I mean, all those years in those pro leagues and seeing all those players come. So, Well, sitting here and, and talking, they, the stories pop into your head, but I appreciate you having me on and uh, appreciate what you guys are doing. This has been yeah. a great thing for hockey to uh, get get uh, you guys out and talking about it and getting the word out in the community about all different kinds of events. So, Well, we awesome. appreciate that. And, that's, yeah. and if you like the podcast and you want to subscribe, it's super simple. You just uh, text the word PUCK to 57500. Uh, we're easily located on the kslsports.com website. Just go on there. Find us there under podcasts. We're on 103.5 The Arrow, their website as well, under podcasts there too. So, I mean, we're everywhere. If you like hockey, subscribe to this podcast. Keep this thing going. That's the way we grow. And, uh, you know, we're going to find some sponsors for the upcoming season. Facebook page too. Oh, yeah. We've got a Facebook page, the Utah Puck Report. And uh, again, so subscribe to the podcast. We're going to have more stories. Steve, once again, thanks for coming on. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Appreciate it. And that's it for us. That was the Utah Puck Report. (laughs) 